What is happening to supermarket prices? Do own label brands taste good? What's the best supermarket? What's the worst? How do I spend less on my weekly shop? Are there ways I can shop smarter? Should I just be growing my own veg? How do I even grow veg? <sighs> Wine to pair with spag ball? When life gives you questions, get answers at which.co.uk. I'm going to start today's episode by taking a look inside my fridge. Looking around, I can see far too many varieties of cheese, all in different states of consumption. Milk, salad, veg, and loads of condiments, plus a few Tupperware pots of leftovers. I'm not browsing because I feel peckish. It's because this week we're back tackling the issue of food safety. And let me tell you, we uncover some pretty nauseating truths about the lack of hygiene involved with some of our food. Unrefrigerated pork stored in tissue paper, restaurant owners turning off their freezers overnight, bottles of oregano that are in fact chopped up olive leaves. You'll hear it all. Before I started researching this, food safety wasn't something I gave much thought to. I assume the food I buy is safe, as do most of us. A recent government food safety report found that in England, Wales and Northern Ireland, 93% of consumers are confident that the food they buy is safe and 89% are confident that the information on food labels is accurate. But could all that be about to change? At the end of this year, our food safety laws, which were carried over from our time in the EU, they'll come to an end. These laws, and there are thousands of them, they cover everything from how food arrives into our country, how it's stored, and, and this is key, that the item is actually what the label says it is. So, without further ado, I'm Grace Farrell, and this week's Which Investigates asks, is our food safe to eat? Investigates is brought to you by the UK's Consumer Champion. We work to make your life simpler, fairer and safer because we're nice like that. Catch new episodes every fortnight where we take a deep dive into the issues that matter. If a particular consumer qualm is keeping you up at night, we can look into it. Just send us an email at podcasts at witch.co.uk or give us a shout on social. To kick off, Let's go back 10 years. It's 2013, the fateful year that Sir Alex Ferguson stepped down as Man United's manager after 26 years at the helm. That July, Andy Murray became the first British man to win the Wimbledon singles title since 1936, while Prince George was born later that very same month. But there was another big event that year that had to do with food. Can you guess what it was? Well, back now to tonight's main news, and I'm sorry if you're enjoying your dinner, but the Food Standards Agency says the discovery of horse meat in a Finder's beef lasagna is appalling, but maintains there's no immediate health risk to the public. Yeah, horse meat. The Food Standards Agency tested beef burgers and ready meals from supermarkets and found that, horrifyingly, horse meat had been used in place of beef. 
These products were already being sold in our supermarkets and falling into the hands and stomachs of unwitting households. They were eventually traced back to a manufacturer in France. The scandal left us all questioning where our food comes from and how much we actually know about it. In the UK, we import 40 million tonnes of food a year. And the bulk of that at the moment does come from the EU. Obviously, as we sign more trade deals, that proportion might shift slightly and we'll get food from other countries. But currently, the bulk of our food that we import comes from the EU. This is Shafali Loth. She's an expert on food and nutrition. And we've spoken to her before on Witch Investigates, so you may recognise her voice. That's a lot of food that we're importing, and that 40 million tonne figure equates to around 46% of everything we eat coming from other countries. So it's obviously crucial then that we have the right laws in place to make sure the food is safe and that the beef is not horse. Legislation for food standards is so important for a number of reasons. They, you know, help prevent food crime, but more importantly, they let us all know what we're eating. We all want to know where our food comes from. We all want to know what's in it. And we all want to know that it's safe. This is Orla Delaghi from Sustain, the Alliance for Better Food and Farming. The UK has a lot of legislation in place that it helped formulate when it was a member of the EU. Now the UK has left the EU and is actually in the process of looking through all of its legislation, everything that's on its books, and is in the process of trying to see what it wants to keep and what it wants to get rid of, which is reasonable enough. But quite a lot of that legislation covers a lot of the things that we hold dear, you know, like keeping our waters clean and protecting our habitats and also looking after our food standards. I asked Shafali to tell us more. The government has announced a bill called the Retained EU Revocation and Reform Bill of 2022, where basically at the end of this year, 2023, all UK laws that were carried over after Brexit from the EU will be sunsetted. So basically what this means is any laws that the UK were instrumental in introducing when we were part of the EU and we've carried over, they'll now be lost unless the government government or the ministers decide to extend the deadline, carry over the laws, amend them and change them in any way. But actually, if they don't, then these laws could go. And that's obviously really, really concerning. This affects around 4,000 pieces of legislation that the UK was instrumental in creating. They cover everything from consumer rights and product safety to public health and food standards. So yeah, you could say it's a pretty big job and maybe one that probably definitely shouldn't be rushed. In agreement is Sue Davis. She also works here at Witch in a very important role. She heads up our consumer rights and food policy. A lot of this legislation is really crucial legislation. So if you look at food law, it includes things like hygiene in restaurants, pesticides in our food, food labelling laws, as well as some of the more controversial legislation that has been highlighted as we've been negotiating trade deals like chlorinated chicken, hormone-treated beef, for example. What we think the government should be doing is reviewing this legislation in a reasonable time frame and in an evidence-based way. 
some things have moved on. We shop a lot more online and some of the food legislation doesn't necessarily deal with that properly. We can improve some of our assessment and approval processes for certain foods. But what worries us is that there's a, a very short timescale for regulators, including the Food Standards Agency, government department to review vast amounts of legislation by the end of this year. And if they don't make the case for it being retained, then it could all be scrapped. We'll actually be hearing from the Food Standards Agency later to find out exactly how they plan to review all this legislation in such a short period of time. As we've heard, a lot of the food that the UK imports comes from the EU, so it makes sense that having the same legislation across borders is helpful for the suppliers. But this could change as we negotiate new trade deals. So far, the UK has signed deals with Japan, New Zealand and Australia, and is in talks with Canada and Mexico. The UK farmers are really concerned about the trade deals that the United Kingdom is signing. And the farmers were very clear about the deal that was signed with Australia because Australia is a much bigger country. It's a very big agricultural nation and it produces a lot of meat, for example, and in some cases to lower standards than the UK does. And while it might be tempting for people to think, oh, you know, we might get a cheaper steak from Australia, the fact is that the Australian food is produced to lower standards than in the UK. And the government's own advisors, for example, in the case of pesticides, find that Australia uses more hazardous pesticides and in higher percentages than the UK does. It allows more of the residues from those pesticides onto its food than we would in the UK. We're also asking farmers to farm in a way that's much kinder to nature. So we're asking a lot of UK farmers. I wish I could say this shocks me, but sadly it doesn't. That it's cheaper and easier for importers to source produce that's thousands of miles away, literally on the other side of the world. After I heard this from Orla, I wanted to find out more about these long journeys that our food takes and how they actually work. This led me to Professor Carol Wagstaff, who's a research dean in the Department of Food and Nutritional Sciences at the University of Reading. We're still feeling our way through Brexit to some extent in that we have kept in place the European legislation in the absence of anything new from the UK. We are still sourcing a lot of our food from Europe or at least it's coming through Europe as well. So we're still growing quite a lot of fresh produce down in southern Spain and in northern Africa. So we're facing the consequences of Brexit. It hasn't necessarily changed where we source from, but it's made the journey it takes much more complicated. And I think it's getting even more complicated as Brexit matures in terms of the paperwork that needs completing. It's got to be much more detailed now in terms of what's on a truck before it comes across the channel. And this causes delays and this could have a knock-on effect in terms of the freshness of the food that the consumer receives. If the supply chain to get it from the point of harvest if it's a plant to the consumer is just going to be a bit longer. And that either means that the storage life that the consumer has is going to be shortened or you'll end up with slightly less good quality food. So again, it comes back to standards and the increasing feeling that the high standards we'd like to expect aren't necessarily being maintained. Now, I'm a parent and like all parents, I'm conscious about the nutrition that's in my kids' food. I think most of us know that food that isn't fresh is less nutritious. 
But still, it was a bit alarming to have Carol confirm this, given the long journeys we've just been hearing about. If you're eating your fresh produce a long time after harvest, then the nutritional value will decline. So surely this presents a risk then, as we sign more and more trade deals with far-flung nations. Well, according to a Food Foundation report, poor nutrition is causing stunted growth in our children, with British five-year-olds being shorter than five-year-olds from our European neighbours. There was also another example Orla from Sustain wanted to share with me too. We're already seeing signs that the UK is diverging it's changing its laws in relation to antibiotic usage on farms. And in some areas, we think they're getting weaker than the EU. We really need to keep our antibiotics for when humans are sick. We shouldn't be giving them to healthy animals to stop them possibly getting sick. That feels like a very poor use of precious antibiotics. And also, it's a global issue, the rise of antimicrobial resistance. The idea that you might have a family member, for example, that has a very basic infection that at the moment we might be able to treat with antibiotics. If we abuse the antibiotics that we have and we give them to farm animals, they won't work anymore. So if you think about the last time a family member took an antibiotic, just imagine if that antibiotic didn't work. Talking about the overuse of antibiotics always gives me the heebie-jeebies. It's a pretty scary situation to imagine. So I'm all for the work we're doing at WITCH, where we're calling for core standards, which will mean our food imports meet the same environmental and welfare and safety standards as UK producers, so that we can be confident in what we buy, regardless of price. Let's return our focus to the EU now, as it's where the majority of our food comes from, at least for the moment. It's logical to think that because our strict EU safety laws are in place until the end of this year, the food we're importing right now from the EU is unanimously safe. Well, it may not be. You see, food entering Great Britain from the EU isn't being checked at our borders, and environmental health officers are finding shocking cases of unsafe foods that are slipping through the net. Just to warn you, this clip is pretty alarming. We spoke to environmental health officers who had been part of an operation stopping checking vehicles entering the UK from Eastern Europe. In one 24-hour period, they stopped 22 vehicles entering the UK from Eastern Europe. And in 21 of these vehicles, they found 2.4 tonnes of illegal pork. Now, this is pork that wasn't fit for human consumption. It was pork that was unrefrigerated. It was stored with ready-to-eat foods such as cakes and crisps and cheese. It was wrapped in plastic bags. They even found some wrapped in tissue paper stored at the bottom of a wheelie bin. Now, the concern is, is where is that pork going? Is it going to markets to be sold to consumers? Is it going into the restaurant industry? That meat hasn't been checked. We don't know what state it's in. So obviously, that's a huge concern. And there have been other instances where border controls or law enforcement officers have stopped vehicles and found similar cases. The checks on food that's coming into Great Britain via the EU since Brexit have been continually delayed. They were supposed to be in place in July last year, but were scrapped. The government has announced a draft plan for border checks that would include EU food to be made from 2024. But it isn't even just food safety that's a concern here. 
There's also a growing problem of what's being called food fraud. So food fraud is basically a food being passed off as something it isn't. Yes, just like the horse meat scandal. So it generally tends to be more expensive ingredients being replaced with cheaper ones and then sold off at a premium price. So it could be a conventionally reared chicken being sold as organic or free range even. Years ago, we at which we tested takeaways and we tested lamb takeaways and found that 60% of them contained other meats other than lamb. So a high proportion was chicken. Another food commonly affected by food fraud is honey. So there was a European study earlier this year which found that honey was often bulked out with cheap sugar syrups. Olive oil is another food commonly affected, but also spices. If you think about how much spices cost, there have been lots of cases where lab tests have shown that spices have been replaced with leaves, such as oregano often is replaced with chopped olive leaves and things like that. I mean, where does it end? You can't trust anything these days. Clearly, without proper legislation, our food system is open to all sorts of abuse. Every day, up to 10,000 vehicles enter the UK via Dover alone, not to mention our other ports. Imagine how many lorries might theoretically contain unsafe or fraudulent food. And we've also found another weak link, a lack of resources to investigate and inspect premises. Producer Rob has been looking into this for us. So Rob, what did you find? Yeah, Grace, as you say, I have been looking into this. So in 2020, there were just 1,767 full-time staff working in food hygiene and food standards for local authorities in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. And that's a third less than in 2014. Indeed, one environmental health officer told us that their colleagues are seeing shocking food hygiene practices unfolding on UK high streets. And that's in response to the cost of living crisis. Oh, I mean, can you give us specific examples? Not that I really want to know. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Apologies that uh, some of this is a little graphic, but they told us that in some cases, businesses are desperate to make ends meet. They're turning off fridges and freezers overnight to save energy costs. Some have cancelled their pest control and waste removal services. Others have no hot water on site. And of course, businesses could be tempted to make other cost-saving cuts by buying produce from dubious suppliers, padding out dishes with cheaper ingredients as well. This is, of course, what we saw back in 2014, as mentioned by Shafali earlier on, when we tested takeaway foods. Now, at the time, we found as well that some fish samples were mislabeled, with cheaper varieties such as whiting replacing more pricey varieties such as cod and haddock. Oh, well, thanks, Rob. Do you know, I can see how people get away with this, to be honest, because are you really going to be able to confidently say that you're eating a different type of whitefish to the one on the menu once it's covered in sauce? I don't think I could. Anyway, I'm now going to bring in Emily Miles. She's the chief executive at the Food Standards Agency, which is the government department who regulates our food system. I started by asking her more about the impact the cost of living crisis has had on food standards. 
So the FSA has had some insight from local authorities where they're finding that they're having to work harder than before to help businesses get up to a compliance standard. So they are seeing businesses struggle to have the same number of people in posts, which means that perhaps there's less work being done on sampling and on food hygiene and so on. But local authorities do work very hard to ensure that businesses are compliant. The first line of defence is businesses themselves. So they have in law to provide food that's safe and is what it says it is, and they have to do their own checks and sampling and so on to make sure it's safe. The second line of defence is local authorities. They do checks and enforcement, including at ports, where they're checking imported goods, but they also go in and do inspections of food businesses. And then the third line of defence is us, the Food Standards Agency. I wanted to hear firsthand from Emily about the uphill task that's being faced by local agencies to recruit more of the people who ensure that the food we eat is safe and that the suppliers can be trusted. The Food Standards Agency is responsible for giving guidance to local authorities about how they deliver their responsibilities to inspect and enforce. And we also keep an eye on the health of the system. So how many local authority inspectors are there? Are there enough to do the kind of work we think is needed? And if you think about this function, it's overseeing something like 610,000 premises in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. And we are concerned that there has been a significant reduction in the number of officers. So for trading standards officers, we're down to just 345. For food hygiene officers, we've got about 1,300. And we've seen a 50% reduction in those trading standards officers in the last decade, and something like a 15% reduction in the last decade. The numbers are stark. And presumably, the situation will get even harder if we don't retain the current EU legislation that we have in place. So how is the FSA dealing with this huge piece of work? We have reviewed them all to see whether they should be, under the retained EU law approach, preserved, extended or sunsetted. That's what the bill requires. And we've advised ministers that we think the majority of them should be preserved or extended, the vast majority, because we really want to make sure that rules that protect food safety and standards are kept. We do not want to see those reduced. And it's clear that the public business also want to have those protected. So this is positive then, but it's not without obstacles. The timescale is really challenging. In December, the FSA board took a paper from the executive explaining what the consequences were of retained EU law and a couple of other big new priorities that had come in. So some work on border import controls and the Windsor framework for Northern Ireland that we need to do too. And as a consequence of those three bits of work, we've had to deprioritise some other things in the organisation in order to free up capacity to work on these legislative issues. I mean, it is very significant. Working on this episode has really reaffirmed to me how important food safety is and how vulnerable we are to this massive, imminent shift in legislation. It's obviously good news that the FSA are pushing for most of the rules to stay in place, but it's ultimately down to the ministers to make the final decisions. Sue Davis has this to say. We hope that there will be a reconsideration and there will be more transparency. The bill is currently going through the House of Lords and then it will go back to the House of Commons. 
at the very least, it should be made really clear what legislation we are talking about here, and there should be a chance to properly scrutinise any changes that are being made. But when we're talking about legislation like just the basic hygiene requirements in restaurants and takeaways, for example, and also all of the provisions that allow environmental health officers of the Food Standards Agency to actually enforce these laws, it's really important that we make sure that we're retaining them and that we don't leave any gaps that mean that businesses could basically produce unsafe food without any consequences. Clearly that isn't the intention, but the way that this is all being rushed through really risks meaning that we might miss some important things and actually end up rather than having legislation that is better for the UK, actually losing some crucial consumer protections. During my chat with Professor Wagstaff, she highlighted just how high our standards are here, particularly around animal welfare. And this is something the UK takes a lot of pride in. So let's hope those high standards can continue. Thanks for listening to this episode of Witch Investigates. It certainly gave me food for thought, pun intended. Let us know what you think about it all. You can get in touch with us on social at witchuk or you can email us at podcasts at witch.co.uk. If you like our stuff, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you're listening as it helps other listeners discover our work. Next time on Witch Investigates, I'll be on a myth-busting mission examining the products that claim to whiten our teeth. You could say it's an illuminating listen. (laughs) Today's episode was presented by me, Grace Farrell, written and produced by Rob Lilly. Editing and original music is by Eric Breer, and our executive producer is Angus Farker. A special thanks this week to my colleagues Shafali Loth, Sue Davis, and everyone else on the team here at Witch. We'll see you again in two weeks. 